Section 2 of The Arabian Art of Taming and Training Wild and Vicious Horses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Vendetti, MikeVendetti.com. The Art and Training of Wild and Vicious Horses by P. R. Kincaid and John J. Stutzman. Section 2. How to Succeed in Getting the Colt from the Pasture. Go to the pasture and walk around the whole herd quietly, and at such a distance as not to cause them to scare and run. Then approach them very slowly, and if they stick up their ears and seem to be frightened, hold on until they become quiet, so as not to make them run before you are close enough to drive them in the direction you want to go. And when you begin to drive, do not flourish your arms or hollow, but gently follow them off, leaving the direction free them that you wish them to take. Thus, taking advantage of their ignorance, you will be able to get them in the pound as easily as the hunter drives the quails into his net. For, if they have always run into the pasture uncared for, as many horses do in prairie countries and on large plantations, there is no reason why they should not be as wild as the sportsman's birds and require the same gentle treatment. If you want to get them without trouble, for the horse in his natural state is as wild as any of the undomesticated animals, though more easily tamed than most of them. How to stable a colt without trouble. The next step will be to get the horse into a stable or shed. This should be done as quietly as possible, so as not to excite any suspicion in the horse of any danger befalling him. The best way to do this is to lead a gentle horse into the stable first and hitch him. Then quietly walk around the colt and let him go in of his own accord. It is almost impossible to get men who have never practiced on this principle to go slow and considerate enough about it. They do not know that in handling a wild horse, above all other things, is that good old adage true, that haste makes waste, that is, waste of time for the gain of trouble and perplexity. One wrong move may frighten your horse and make him think it is necessary to escape at all hazards for the safety of his life, and thus make two hours' work of a ten minutes' job. And this would be all your own fault, and entirely unnecessary, for he will not run unless you run after him, and that would not be good policy unless you know that you could outrun him, or you will have to let him stop of his own accord after all. But he will not try to break away, unless you attempt to force him into measures. If he does not see the way at once, and is a little fearful about going in, do not undertake to drive him, but give him a little less room outside by gently closing in around him. Do not raise your arms, but let them hang at your side, for you might as well raise a club. The horse has never studied anatomy, and does not know but that they will unhinge themselves and fly at him. If he attempts to turn back, walk before him, but do not run and if he gets past you, encircle him again in the same quiet manner, and he will soon find that you are not going to hurt him, and you can soon walk so close behind him that he will go into the stable for more room, and to get further away from you. As soon as he is in, remove the quiet horse and shut the door. This will be his first notion of confinement, not knowing how to get in such a place, nor how to get out of it, that he may take it as quietly as possible, see that the shed is entirely free from dogs, chickens, or anything that would annoy them. 
Then give him a few ears of corn, and let him remain alone fifteen or twenty minutes, until he has examined his apartment, and has become reconciled to his confinement. Time to reflect. And now, while your horse is eating those few ears of corn, is the proper time to see that your halter is ready and all right, and to reflect on the best mode of operations, for, in the horse-breaking, it is highly important that you should be governed by some system, and you should know before you attempt to do anything just what you are going to do, and how you are going to do it. And if you are experienced in the art of taming wild horses, you ought to be able to tell within a few minutes the length of time it would take you to halter the colt, and learn him to lead. THE KIND OF HALTER Always use a leather halter, and be sure to have it made so that it will not draw tight around his nose, if he pulls on it. It should be of the right size to fit his head easily and nicely, so that the nose-band will not be too tight or too low. Never put a rope halter on an unbroken colt under any circumstances whatever. They have caused more horses to hurt or kill themselves than would pay for twice the cost of all leather halters that have ever been needed for the purpose of haltering colts. It is almost impossible to break a colt that is very wild with a rope halter without having him pull, rear, and throw himself, and thus endanger his life, and I will tell you why. It is just as natural for a horse to try to get his head out of anything that hurts it or feels unpleasant as it would be for you to try to get your hand out of a fire. The cords of the rope are hard and cutting. This makes him raise his head and draw on it, and as soon as he pulls the slip noose, the way rope halters are always made, tightens and pinches his nose, and then he will struggle for life until, perchance, he throws himself, and who would have his horse throw himself, and run the risk of breaking his neck, rather than pay the price of a leather halter. But this is not the worst. A horse that has once pulled on his halter can never be as well broke as one that has never pulled at all. Remarks on the Horse but before we attempt to do anything more with the colt, I will give you some of the characteristics of his nature, that you may better understand his motions. Every one that has ever paid any attention to the horse has noticed his natural inclination to smell of everything which to him looks new and frightful. This is their strange mode of examining everything, and when they are frightened at anything, though they look at it sharply, they seem to have no confidence in this optical examination alone, but must touch it with the nose before they are entirely satisfied, and as soon as this is done, all is all right. Experiments with the Robe If you want to satisfy yourself of this characteristic of the horse and learn something of importance concerning the peculiarities of his nature, etc., turn him into the barnyard, or a large stable will do, and then gather up something that you know will frighten him a red blanket, buffalo robe, or something of that kind. Hold it up so that he can see it. He will stick up his head and snort. Then throw it down somewhere in the center of the lot or barn, and walk off to one side. Watch his motions and study his nature. If he is frightened at the object, he will not rest until he has touched it with his nose. You will see him begin to walk around the robe and snort, all the time getting a little closer, as if drawn up by some magic spell until he finally gets within reach of it. He will then very cautiously stretch out his neck as far as he can reach, merely touching it 
with his nose, as though he thought it was ready to fly at him. But after he has repeated these touches a few times, for the first, though he has been looking at it all the time, he seems to have an idea what it is. But now he has found, by the sense of feeling, that it is nothing that will do him any harm, and he is ready to play with it. And if you watch him closely, you will see him take hold of it with his teeth, and raise it up, and pull at it. And in a few minutes you can see that he has not that same wild look about his eye, but stands like a horse, biting at some familiar stump. Yet the horse is never well satisfied when he is about anything that has frightened him, as when he is standing with his nose to it. And in nine cases out of ten, you will see some of that same wild look about him again, as he turns to walk from it, and you will probably see him looking back very suspiciously as he walks away, as though he thought it might come after him yet, and in all probability he will have to go back and make another examination before he is satisfied. But he will familiarize himself with it, and if he should run in that lot a few days, the robe that frightened him so much at first will be no more to him than a familiar stump. Suppositions on the Sense of Smelling we might very naturally suppose, from the fact of the horse's applying his nose to everything new to him, that he always does so for the purpose of smelling these objects. But I believe it is as much or more for the purpose of feeling, and that he makes use of his nose or muzzle, as it is sometimes called, as we would of our hands, because it is the only organ by which he can touch or feel anything with much susceptibility. I believe that he invariably makes use of the four senses, seeing, hearing, smelling, and feeling, in all of his examinations, of which the sense of feeling is perhaps the most important. And I think that in the experiment with the robe, his gradual approach and final touch with his nose was as much for the purpose of feeling as anything else, his sense of smell being so keen that it would not be necessary for him to touch his nose against anything in order to get the proper scent, for it is said that a horse can smell a man the distance of a mile, and, if the scent of the robe was all that was necessary, he could get that several rods off. But we know from experience that if a horse sees and smells a robe a short distance from him, he is very much frightened, unless he is used to it, until he touches or feels it with his nose which is a positive proof that feeling is the controlling sense in this case. Prevailing Opinion of Horsemen It is a prevailing opinion among horsemen generally that the sense of smell is the governing sense of the horse, and Faucher, as well as others, have with that view got up recipes of strong-smelling oils, etc., to tame the horse, sometimes using the chestnut of his leg which they dry, grind into powder, and blow into his nostrils, sometimes using the oil of rhodium, organum, etc., that are noted for their strong smell, and sometimes they scent the hands with the sweat from under the arm, or blow their breath into his nostrils, etc., etc., all of which, as far as the scent goes, have no effect whatever on gentling the horse, or conveying any idea to his mind through the works that accompany these efforts handling him touching him, about the nose and head, and patting him as they direct you should, after administering the articles, may have a very great effect, which they mistake to be the effect of the ingredients used, 
and Fosser, in his work entitled The Arabian Art of Taming Horses, page 17, tells us how to accustom a horse to a robe by administering certain articles to his nose, and goes on to say that these articles must first be applied to the horse's nose before you attempt to break him, in order to operate successfully. Now, reader, can you, or any one else, give one single reason how scent can convey any idea to the horse's mind of what we want him to do? If not, then, of course, strong scents of any kind are of no account in taming the unbroken horse. For everything that we get him to do of his own accord, without force, must be accomplished by some means of conveying our ideas to his mind. I say to my horse, go long, and he goes, oh, and he stops, because these two words, of which he has learned the meaning by the tap of the whip and the pull of the rein, that first accompanied him, convey the two ideas to his mind of go and stop. Faucher, or no one else, can ever learn the horse a single thing by the means of a scent alone. How long do you suppose a horse would have to stand and smell a bottle of oil before he would learn to bend his knee and make a bow at your bidding? Go yonder and bring your hat, or come here and lay down. Thus you see the absurdity of trying to break or tame the horse by the means of recipes for articles to smell of, or medicine to give him of any kind whatever. The only science that has ever existed in the world relative to the breaking of horses that has been of any account is that true method which takes them in their native state and improves their intelligence powell's system of approaching the colt but before we go further i will give you willis j powell's system of approaching a wild colt as given by him in a work published in europe about the year eighteen eleven on the art of taming wild horses he says a horse is gentled by my secret in from two to sixteen hours the time i have most commonly employed has been from four to six hours he goes on to say cause your horse to be put in a small yard stable or room if in a stable or room it ought to be large in order to give him some exercise with the halter before you lead him out if the horse belongs to that class which appears only to fear man you must introduce yourself gently into the stable-room or yard where the horse is. He will naturally run from you, and frequently turn his head from you. But you must walk about extremely slow and softly, so that he can see you whenever he turns his head toward you, which he never fails to do in a short time. Say in a quarter of an hour, I never knew one to be much longer without turning towards me. At the very moment he turns his head, hold out your left hand toward him and stand perfectly still, keeping your eyes upon the horse, watching his motions, if he makes any. If the horse does not stir for ten or fifteen minutes, advance as slowly as possible, and without making the least noise, always holding out your left hand, without any other ingredient in it than that what nature put in it. He says, I have made use of certain ingredients before people, such as the sweat under my arm, etc., to disguise the real secret and many believed that the docility to which the horse arrived in so short a time was owing to these ingredients. But you see from this explanation that they were of no use whatever. The implicit faith placed in these ingredients, though innocent of themselves, becomes faith without works. And thus men remained always in doubt concerning this secret. 
if the horse makes the least motion when you advance toward him stop and remain perfectly still until he is quiet remain a few moments in this condition and then advance again in the same slow and imperceptible manner take notice if the horse stirs stop without changing your position it is very uncommon for the horse to stir more than once after you begin to advance yet there are exceptions he generally keeps his eyes steadfast on you until you get near enough to touch him on the forehead when you are thus near to him raise slowly and by degrees your hand and let it come in contact with that part just above the nostrils as lightly as possible if the horse flinches as many will repeat with great rapidity these light strokes upon the forehead going a little further up toward the ears by degrees and descending with the same rapidity until he will let you handle his forehead all over now let the strokes be repeated with more force over all his forehead descending by lighter strokes to each side of his head until you can handle that part with equal facility then touch in the same light manner making your hands and fingers play around the lower part of the horse's ears coming down now and then to his forehead which may be looked upon as the helm that governs all the rest having succeeded in handling his ears advance toward the neck with the same precautions and in the same manner observing always to augment the force of the stroke whenever the horse will permit it perform the same on both sides of the neck until he lets you take it in your arms without flinching proceed in the same progressive manner to the sides and then to the back of the horse every time the horse shows any nervousness return immediately to the forehead as the true standard patting him with your hands and from thence rapidly to where you had already arrived always gaining around a considerable distance further on every time this happens the head ears neck and body being thus gentled proceed from the back to the root of the tail this must be managed with dexterity as a horse is never to be depended on that is skittish about the tail let your hand fall lightly and rapidly on that part next to the body a minute or two and then you will begin to give it a slight pull upwards every quarter of a minute at the same time you continue this handling of him augment the force of the strokes as well as the raising of the tail until you can raise it and handle it with the greatest ease which commonly happens in a quarter of an hour in most horses in others almost immediately and in some much longer it now remains to handle all his legs from the tail come back again to the head handle it well as likewise the ears breast neck etc speaking now and then to the horse begin by degrees to descend to the legs always ascending and descending gaining ground every time you descend until you get to his feet talk to the horse in latin greek french english or spanish or any other language you please but let him hear the sound of your voice which at the beginning of the operation is not quite so necessary but which i have always done in making him lift up his feet hold up your foot leave la pied etc at the same time lift his foot with your hand he soon becomes familiar with the sounds and will hold his foot up at command then proceed to the hind feet and go on in the same manner and in a short time the horse will let you lift them 
and even take them up in your arms. All this operation is no magnetism, no galvanism. It is merely taking away the fear a horse generally has of a man, and familiarizing the animal with his master. As the horse doubtless experiences a certain pleasure from this handling, he will soon become gentle under it, and show a very marked attachment to his keeper. Remarks on Powell's Treatment How to Govern Horses of Any Kind These instructions are very good, but not quite sufficient for horses of all kinds, and for haltering and leading the colt. But I have inserted it here because it gives some of the true philosophy of approaching the horse, and of establishing confidence between man and horse. He speaks only of the kind that fear man. To those who understand the philosophy of horsemanship, these are the easiest trained, for when we have a horse that is wild and lively, we can train him to our will in a very short time, for they are generally quick to learn, and always ready to obey. But there is another kind that are of a stubborn or vicious disposition, and although they are not wild, and do not require taming in the sense it is generally understood, they are just as ignorant as a wild horse, if not more so, and need to be learned just as much and in order to have them obey quickly, it is very necessary that they should be made to fear their masters, for in order to obtain perfect obedience from any horse, we must first have him fear us, for our motto is fear, love, and obey, and we must have the fulfillment of the first two before we can expect the latter, and it is by our philosophy of creating fear, love, and confidence that we govern to our will every kind of horse, whatever. Then in order to take horses as we find them, or all kinds, and to train them to our likings, we will always take with us when we go into a stable to train a colt, a long switch whip, whalebone buggy whips is the best, with a good silk cracker, so as to cut keen and make a sharp report, which if handled with dexterity and rightly applied, accompanied with a sharp fierce word, will be sufficient to enliven the spirits of any horse. With this whip in your right hand, with the lash pointing backwards, enter the stable alone. It is a great disadvantage in training a horse to have any one in the stable with you. You should be entirely alone, so as not to have nothing but yourself to attract his attention. If he is wild, you will soon see him in the opposite side of the stable from you. And now is the time to use a little judgment. I would not want for myself more than half or three-quarters of an hour to handle any kind of a colt and have him running about in the stable after me, though I would advise a new beginner to take more time, and not to be in too much of a hurry. If you have but one colt to gentle, and are not particular about the length of time you spend, and have not had any experience in handling colts, I would advise you to take Mr. Powell's method at first, till you gentle him, which he says takes from two to six hours. But as I want to accomplish the same, and, what is much more, learn the horse to lead in less than one hour, I shall give you a much quicker process of accomplishing the same end. Accordingly, when you have entered the stable, stand still and let your horse look at you a minute or two, and, as soon as he is settled in one place, approach him slowly with both arms stationary, your right hanging by your side, holding the whip as directed, and the left bent at the elbow, with your hand projecting. As you approach him, 
go not too much towards his head or croup, so as not to make him move either forward or backward, thus keeping your horse stationary. If he does move a little forward or backward, step a little to the right or left, very cautiously. This will keep him in one place. As you get very near him, draw a little to his shoulder and stop a few seconds. If you are in his reach, he will turn his head and smell at your hand, not that he has any preference for your hand, but because that is projecting and is the nearest portion of your body to the horse. This all colts will do, and they will smell of your naked hand just as quick as they will of anything that you can put in it, and with just as good an effect. However, much some men have preached the doctrine of taming horses by giving them the scent of articles from the hand, I have already proved that to be a mistake. As soon as he touches his nose to your hand, caress him, as before directed. Always using a very light, soft hand, merely touching the horse, always rubbing the way the hair lies, so that your hand will pass along as smoothly as possible. As you stand by his side, you may find it more convenient to rub his neck or the side of his head which will answer the same purpose as rubbing his forehead. Favor every inclination of the horse to smell or touch you with his nose. Always follow each touch or communication of this kind with the most tender and affectionate caresses, accompanied with a kind look and pleasant word of some sort, such as, Oh, my little boy, oh, my little boy, pretty boy, nice lady, or something of that kind, consistently repeating the same words with the same kind, steady tone of voice, for the horse soon learns to read the expression of the face and voice, and will know as well when fear, love, or anger prevails as you know your own feelings, two of which fear and anger a good horseman should never feel. End of section two.